Jesus did not shy away from conversations about politics, government, and public affairs. He engaged with the questions of the people around him, but from a different perspective than the camps that were uh, being offered up as models of how to respond to these concerns. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Back in 2015, a liberal graduate of Pratt Institute in Brooklyn became friends with a Republican who emigrated from El Salvador as a teen. While they had very different political views, they shared a common belief that Christians were engaging in the American political realm in a decidedly unchristlike way. That friendship blossomed into the Center for Christian Civics, a nonprofit dedicated to helping Christians be better disciples of Jesus Christ while engaging in politics. Today, we're joined by their liberal co-founder, Rick Barry. Rick joins us to talk about our polarized culture, how it's affecting the church, and what CXC is doing to address this. Rick, welcome to Grace in 30. Thanks very much for having me, Ed. This is, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, I've heard it said that Jesus did not engage in politics. Is that true? Oh my goodness, it's absolutely not true. Uh, Jesus did not shy away from conversations about politics, government, and public affairs. He, um, a couple times, was posed with questions about any cause divorce, which was kind of a new, what we would consider to be a culture war issue in uh, first century Jerusalem and first century Israel. And he didn't say, you know, I'm not here to talk about those sorts of things. He engaged with that question in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. Uh, But he engaged with it without taking the paradigms and the dichotomies that were being presented to him for granted. He engaged with the questions of the people around him, but from a different perspective than the camps that were... uh, being offered up as models of how to respond to these concerns. He um, advocated paying taxes to Caesar and not just any tax, but the Roman head tax, which was a point of political controversy in Israel had, I think, 20 years earlier, there was actually an armed rebellion among the Jewish, um, what we now historically call the Jewish zealots over this new tax being instituted. Uh, And he didn't say, hey, I'm not touching that question with a 10-foot pole. He even um, waded into other current events that um, aren't as historically politicized. He talked openly about the collapse of the Tower of Siloam, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. Um, So yeah, no, Jesus did not um, shut down conversations about politics and current affairs over the dinner table. Yeah, I also thought about the Apostle Paul. I um. I remember someone pointed out to me that uh, when Paul and Silas arrived in Thessalonica, the people were up in arms. There was a group of people that didn't like what they were doing. And and they literally said, um, they're guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. That is a very political statement, correct? Yes. And um, it also is a political statement that actually engages with the reality of the laws they were living under. We Um, I think sometimes don't appreciate how political that was. There were um, 
Roman law stated that uh, you could basically do and or be anything you wanted religiously. You could worship anything you want as long as you also concurrently with or above the religion you practice, you also practiced uh, what we would call state worship, um, a worship of the head of state. Um, so it wasn't just um, saying that there, uh, it wasn't just a controversial statement by saying that, you know, your religion should be more important to you than your country if you're a Christian. It was actually uh, a st- an illegal statement in Rome to say that there is any higher spiritual good or authority than Caesar, as far as my understanding of Roman history goes. You said in, in a podcast earlier that I listened to that it's important for non-Christians to see our churches as places where political opponents thrive together in common Christian community, and that the world needs to look at the church and not be able to explain the love we have for each other despite our political and other differences. And you're reminding me of Andy Stanley. He did a a three-part series called The Perfect Blend of Politics and Religion. He did that to kick off the year. How do you make that happen? So you got this organization, you're doing this work, you've been doing it for five or so years. How do you, how do you, help us to, you know, as Andy Stanley said, differ politically, love unconditionally, and pray for unity. How do you accomplish that? There are two major things we need to do to reach that goal in the church. One is reframe our understanding of our relationship to politics and government. We have to come as Christians to actually accept accept the scope of responsibility God has given us by placing us in a representative and a participatory democracy, um, not treat government as something outside of ourselves that we are in contention with, but actually as something entrusted to us that we need to collaborate to maintain the health of. When we switch from seeing government uh, as a venue for culture war or seeing um, government as a clean one-to-one expression of our values, but instead um, come to appreciate the responsibilities of government. Uh, under, think of government as a process we are responsible for maintaining the health of. That takes away a lot of the fire while simultaneously uh, making government more urgent, making politics uh, and maintaining the health of it a higher priority than it would be if it was just a kind of war that we were in charge of helping to win or lose. Um, And the other thing we need to do is dig deeper into the causes of political diversity, because there is not a one-to-one relationship in scripture between the structure of the state or policy, uh, the structure of public policy, and an individual's values in a representative democracy, in a um, what I affectionately refer to as a 300 million person Pharaoh committee where believing Christians are the largest minority in a sea of spiritual minorities. Um, when we don't look at politics as the primary thing that divides us, but actually dig a little bit deeper into what are the extra biblical factors that form our political preferences, it's a lot easier to start realizing that the things that shape our relationship to politics, the things that shape our preferences when it comes to policy, more often than not, tend to fall in the category of uh, kind of 
what I would call Galatians 3 or Colossians 3 issues. There's, you know, there is no man or woman, Jew or Greek, um, cosmopolitan, urbanite, or um, provincial small town denizen, um, kind of, but all are one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, The kind of instinct might be to go straight to the cultural divide being between Bush supporters and Bernie bros, but there are other factors that drive those differences. Um, So when we understand ourselves in a more um, nuanced and complicated manner and understand government um, not just as something we cheer on from the sidelines, but something we are actually charged with the responsibility of maintaining, that drastically changes the way you think, feel, and act in the public square. So so you got out of college about 15, 16 years ago? Just reading your history, I mean, you you worked three or four political communications jobs, and you reached this point where you were like, you, you felt like Christians were waging a holy war in the political realm. Has it gotten worse? I mean, over the past five or 10 years, I, mean, I feel like the answer may be obvious to that, but what do you see? Because you, you've been moving around in these circles. What do you see? The thing I, I don't think our hearts have gotten any worse. Um, and I think it's important to remember that in the late 60s and even in the early 70s, um, domestic terrorism, political assassinations were common. And you know, in the 1800s, we actually had an all-out civil war. Um, the most, the cause of the most bloodshed on American soil was Americans killing other Americans in an organized civil war. So I want to start out by saying I'm not generally an alarmist. I'm not, I don't think this is the worst it's ever been. Um, the thing that I do think is different now, even than when I was working on campaigns, and even when I was writing for other elected officials, um, is we have most of our political discourse happens through uh, a form of mass communication media that we are just neurologically ill-equipped to engage reasonably and responsibly. And we could probably have a whole other episode talking about uh, the neuroscience of political communications and how uh, social media is, and digital media in general, is maybe one of the worst things to happen for anyone who's attempting to promote a uh, more in-depth, nuanced, um, and collaborative approach to government. I think what I'd love to to hear, Danny, your your partner, he mentioned not being able to tell Christians from non-Christians apart. I, what? Give us an example. Give us some encouragement about you know, what, what some of the things you're doing, how they're actually making an impact. Because a lot of organizations out there are trying to do stuff, and they're real. Their hearts in the right place, and they're working hard. Give us give us some kind of encouragement. Well, for um, a few months ago, I was leading a class at a pretty diverse church that was. Um, it was in a suburb of a major city. It There was a college in the town. Um, so there were young families that had moved out to the suburbs because they were having kids and commuting into the city. There were retirees that wanted to stay nearby the city in their um, silver years. And then there were college students as well. And um, after the class, there was a someone who you would... Uh, there was an older gentleman, retiree, 
silver-haired, upper-middle-class Trump supporter who was going through one of our conversation exercises with a first-generation young immigrant woman um, in her early 30s who he had never really had a conversation with before um, and had shared no politics with. And he was telling me that he was amazed that by the end of their time together, he had felt like he had known her his whole life and he didn't realize uh, the resources we have in Christ to be bound together with people with such different experiences from ourselves. I mean, I point to even Danny and I um, as an example of that, which you've mentioned a few times, but he tells a story about uh, coming over with his then fiance for lunch one day. And we had talked about ministry and our backgrounds in the church and had come to really like each other a lot. And um, he didn't realize until that lunch that I uh, had only worked for Democrats and ended up, I had never voted for a Republican. And he, the, his response, as he always says, is, but, but I like you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, frankly, I've, we hear from ministry leaders who, when we come in to do classes with their congregation or when we're coaching them over the phone um, or who have gone through the pilot version of our leadership training, um, that they leave feeling better able to love and understand their congregation. I've even talked to um, ministry leaders who uh, who have gone to seminars we've hosted who have said that they have better relationships with their children now because they have a biblical framework for how to understand their children's politics that they don't share, but they can actually now see the image of God in ways that their children uh, differ from them. Yeah, I think uh, Danny said that he was shocked that you were a Democrat and and, and you had such similar views. Let, let's let's take a moment, actually, I got to talk about COVID because everything is, you're hearing all the time, 24-7 is COVID. We've got this just awful pandemic, the effect it's had on our country. You said there's a few things that you're doing in the midst of COVID-19, but one thing that you you mentioned in particular is that you know you're, it's a chance now to tell people to show them the importance of being an elected official, that certain administrative skills are really needed, uh, that are they're especially important, especially in the executive branch. And and how are you doing that? I mean, how, how are you seizing this moment and you know to, to make people realize this is this is an example of why this is really important. Well, I don't think it's just the executive branch. It really is um, through in every branch of government. Uh, who we hire has uh, real consequences. And it is uh, sometimes, I think, unkind to hire someone for a job that they are not equipped for. But uh, one of the burdens we have to carry if we want to steward government responsibly as citizens is making a greater effort to understand the actual technical requirements of the job we are hiring people to do. And one of the things that I actually um, appreciate about what we are seeing in the COVID crisis is people are seeing in real time uh, what the technical requirements of elected officials actually are, at least when it comes to disaster response. We talk in the church a lot about wanting to hire elected officials who are, you know, Josephs or Nehemiahs. Uh, but we tend to then not want think about what is the modern equivalent of Joseph forming 
a storehouse of grain for seven years before famine hit. Uh, if what is what would the equivalent modern policies be uh, in light of COVID nineteen to something like uh, preparing in advance? We the thing we tend to forget when we look at Joseph or Daniel or David or a lot of the uh, m- more capable um, public officials that we see in scripture is uh, they were in those positions first and foremost because they had already demonstrated aptitudes. They had already demonstrated that they had the skills required to execute those positions faithfully. And one of the things personally that I lament, not just in the church, but in the culture of American voters more generally, is we tend to think about aptitude last. We tend to view ourselves um, more as the third round interview rather than the first round interview for the job. Like if you're applying for a job where there are multiple stages, you know, first you get a call from some college intern who saw your resume and just wanted to make sure it wasn't a bot that sent it in. Then you have maybe a phone interview or a face-to-face interview with someone from HR who needs to make sure that you actually have the skills you say you have. And then once you have four or five candidates who could all do the job, then they go interview with the manager of the department they'd be working for, and they see which of these five people who all could do it well would be the best cultural fit for the team. Um, We tend as voters, myself included, to think first and foremost in terms of who's the cultural fit, who's the one that I would like to have the beer with, um, or who's the one who's Uh, saying the things that really get me fired up Um, and hope that, well, if they can coordinate a campaign at this level, they can hopefully do the job at this level. But those are very different skill sets. And um, yeah, so through COVID-19, some of the things we're doing to help people draw those connections. One is we've done a series of podcasts um, looking ahead to the way the COVID-19 pandemic and government responses to it will reshape the landscape for different issues that Christians care about. So we've done um, an episode on how COVID-19 is reshaping sex trafficking, how it's reshaping food insecurity, how it's reshaping work with at-risk youth, how it's reshaping um, neonatal healthcare, um, women's health, pregnancy issues, things like that. We're working on one on domestic violence as well. We have also produced, uh, and we've worked with a couple other organizations, including One Heart DC and the Together Generation, to produce what we're calling the Caring Connections Knowledge Base, which is a constantly updated set of resources for formal and informal ministry leaders, like pastors, elders, deacons, but then also like Christians who are just active um, kind of institutions within their own neighborhoods, helping them... uh, navigate how to respond to the different challenges they're facing or that people are coming to them with um, in light of COVID-19. How do you uh, provide kind of secure pastoral counseling from a distance, but then also how do you help people navigate your state's unemployment website? How do you help nonprofits um, file for the Paycheck Protection Program? Um, Helping them understand what are the systems uh, that state that are being rolled out at the state and federal level? Uh, And how do you 
to help alleviate this crisis? And then how do you, as a citizen leader, help other people navigate them? And then on top of that, we're doing uh, the same things we will normally do with uh, getting more podcast interviews, more blog content out from Christians who are actually doing the day-to-day work of government and administering these programs to help kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and demystify uh, what the work of executing our system of government actually looks like so that people can have uh, a more informed, more informed discussions about it, but also, and this is most important, a more humane, patient, generous, and informed prayer life around these questions. You mentioned when we talked on the phone, um, the scripture the Apostle Paul wrote about seeing dimly through a glass, and you made the analogy of, of sunglasses with smudges on them, and that you know we've all got glasses on or some form of glasses with smudges, but the smudges are in different locations. And you know I can see at a certain area where you can't see and vice versa. And when I got off the phone with you, it occurred to me that we got to be close with one another to be able to point these things out and share with one another. And kind of sounds like the story you were talking about before about sort of the gray-haired man and the other person getting together and talking, and they they hadn't really spent that time talking to each other. Is that a key or the key? I mean, we've been doing this program for four years, and I, I call these things strands of grace. You know, I've, I've, I've actually listed, here's the five, six, seven, eight things that come up over and over and over and at the top of the list is proximity, getting close to people that are very different than you that you wouldn't normally hang with so that you can grow to understand and love them. And it just changes everything. Do you, do you find that's the same thing you're encountering? Uh, scripture tells us that we are heading for a future where people from every tribe and tongue will be worshiping together concurrently with one another in the same place. It tells us that The kings of all the earth will lay their crowns at Jesus's feet, which in my classes, I tend to point out that that means the kings of every tribe will actually still have glories that endure into the eschaton. Um, But that also means that in order to live out, to live our lives as foretastes of that kingdom that is to come, we have to be living our lives in close proximity uh, and in co-mission with people who are of other tribes and tongues from ourselves. Uh, it's why, again, I point to Galatians 3, Colossians 3, um, the man, woman, Jew, Greek, free slave, the three biggest cultural divides of first century Judea were pointed to as um, indications that if you cross these divides, then you know that your fellowship is strong and healthy. Um, it's why scripture uses the analogy of a body to describe the church. Uh, you know, I'm not the first person to ever discover, oh, the, the Apostle Paul said that you know, an eye and a foot can't say that because we're not the same, we're not part of the same body. In fact, the sensory input from the eye is important for keeping the foot safe, and the sensory input from the foot is important for filling in gaps. Um, from the eye. Um, I just tend now to gravitate to the analogy of everyone has blind spots and you need different people with different blind spots from you. Cause I've worn glasses for the last three years and I've actually, that has started to really hit home for me. Um, I, since I've started wearing glasses, I appreciate Paul's uh, statement that we only see through a glass dimly, but in the future we will see face as face to face much more viscerally than I did before. 
but yeah, I think you're right on the money. Our discipleship is incomplete if we are not subject to the teaching, correction, and training and righteousness of people who uh, can call us out on things we would never notice ourselves. What would you like to challenge our listeners to do and think? I mean, do you have some sort of a call to action or something that's just been on your heart? Every time you talk to someone, you you feel compelled to share that. What would that be? I will challenge you to change the way you think about and pray about people you dislike in the public square. Um, a question I started getting a lot when I moved into doing this work full time was, how do I deal with hatred? when it comes to politics, either of particular elected officials or of other people. Um, and I tend to recommend a multi-step process. Um, I would ask you to first pray a prayer of repentance for a desire to usurp God's place as judge. And this, I don't say this glibly. I don't say it flippantly. Um, I say this as a descendant of genocide survivors, and not just a descendant, but someone who up until his 20s had uh, a beloved family member who was a survivor of an attempted genocide. The first thing to do when you feel yourself dealing with animosity or hatred of others when it comes to politics is sincerely repent to God of your desire to usurp his place as judge. Then Thank him for the fact that every injustice will be made straight and pl- or will be made right. Every crooked thing will be made straight. Every low thing will be raised up. Every secret thing will be revealed. That's not an empty promise. Uh, and so any appropriate reaction to something that's disgusting you in the public square needs to be tempered by that confidence of the in the kingdom that is to come. That confidence is what sets Christians apart from non-Christians across the political spectrum. And then next is transition from assigning blame to assuming responsibility. And that means not just blaming this person or this other group for the problems you are seeing, but asking God to search your heart, know you, show you any false way within yourself, and lead you in the way of life everlasting. Uh, that is, show you ways where you may have been complicit in either pushing people toward this or fostering an environment that made it possible, or not seizing the opportunity to try to reconcile your opponents to you before now. Um, I'm reminded of at one point someone, Jesus tells someone, if you go to make your offering and remember that you have a reason to be angry at your brother leave your offering and go be reconciled. And at another point, he says, if you go to make your offering and remember your brother has a reason to be angry with you, go and be reconciled. If there is a problem in the world or in broken relationships that you are given eyes to see by God, it's a good indication he may be calling you to work on reconciling that as well. Um, So that three-step process for dealing with political hatred is something I would challenge people to take some time to pray through themselves. Uh, Repent of any desire you may have to usurp God's role as judge, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, Pray for deeper trust in 
the fact that he will make the unjust things just in the eschaton, and then ask for uh, eyes to see ways in which you may inadvertently have been facilitating um, either this thing happening or the environment that made this thing possible. And then talk through that with Christians you trust and ask them um, how they see ways in which you could change, uh, how they see opportunities you might not be seeing for you to make this thing better. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. If listeners want to find out more about the Center for Christian Civics, check them out on the web at christiancivics.org. This is Ed and Rick signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.